All right. Hi, I'm Sam McVeigh. I used to hang out here quite a bit. Um, I, uh, this, is a, this is a fun place. Some of you may know already, but Amy grew up on the, in this church uh, from the time she was four through till she married me. And so I preached here 32 years ago when this was Prospect Baptist Church. And so I don't remember the service being quite like this, but uh, it, was, it was an awesome thing. And so Amy was baptized on this property. Another place was here when this was built. And so, yeah, it's kind of nostalgic for us. Nostalgic to be in El Dorado. El Dorado's where I cut my teeth, you know, after a year of being married with Amy. The Lord got us out of Illinois to here. And then we did up in that school where John and Lizzie are, literally in their place they're living in upstairs, prayed in thousands of prayer meetings, literally morning, noon, and night. And in the midst of our mixture and mess, <laughs> the Lord kept pulling our hearts and praying. And so it's so fun to be out here three decades later and watching the fruit of God's grace and how he works in, in so many people. And so I, I miss being here. It was so fun driving in and <clears throat> just remember prayer meetings at night and around the city and seeing young old faces like Roger and, and Dick and others that would insert Terry. So many prayer meetings we were in together, Sean. It was just so awesome to know that other life that we were a part of. And so, um, and then seeing fruit here and Jonathan and team and all of you. We love, love, love all you guys. You're doing such a great job. Um, we, the Lord did shift us to Wichita, and it has become Antioch for us and for our larger Disciple Nations family. Um, we used to move around the city, and we tried to move around the county a little bit, and now our primary family is in a four-county, five-county area um, where we have works and equip ministries and then a few people in the nations, and uh, just trying to serve the church in Wichita and uh, the larger area uh, and in the nations. Um, we feel called to all tribes. Uh, one guy told us that. You're from one tribe before all tribes. And so you saw us praying for unity. And it's not unity at any cost. We want unity around the supremacy of Christ. But we don't feel called to build our thing. It's actually illegal for us to build our thing. There's some defiling things that we're really giving ourselves to serve others. And so I met with 12 to 18 pastors in Wichita in this last week and just trying to reorient ourselves after COVID, how we're going to launch forward with prayer movement in Wichita, talking with statewide leaders, uh, coordinating as we all have vision for what God wants to do in the state. Speaking of that, a little promo. Um, we uh, really feel like the Lord, the Lord said to me in, um, in 2015 was kind of a big shift. Went to South Korea, slipped into North Korea, prayed a little bit, went to, went to China, met with some house church leaders, and the Lord released that resonating word in my heart that was kind of a spark back here, that there are global consequences for what we do with prayer in Kansas. Four years later, I'm driving up the turnpike to meet with some prayer leaders in Kansas, and the Lord drops in my heart, I want to raise up 100,000 intercessors that are all praying the same word of God at the same time in this state. And I, I end up with a prayer leader. I, I can't remember. It was Shawnee Mission or over. I can't remember where Gary was. But I'm talking to Gary, and Gary had heard the same word, 100,000. Now, he thought it was about his ministry, and his mailing list was 4,000. So when I started talking about the state, he goes, oh, that's it right there. And so... Um, I don't know if it's going to be exactly 100,000. I just know that as we hurl toward the end times, that the Lord wants to raise up the heart of the nation, Kansas, to uh, be praying the Word of God. It's the most powerful thing we can do is we wield the sword of the Word of God in the Spirit of God in a united way. I really believe it's going to not only release blessing in Kansas, but to the nation. And so... Um, I'm giving myself to that. So the, the, the thing that's been downloaded to multiple of us, and I, I'm, I'm biased on this, is praying the Lord's Prayer. We want to pray a thousand Bible verses, uh, pray the Word, all at the same time, anchored in the themes of the greatest prayer ever given to man. 
Now, actually, sorry, I won't try to teach us, but the Lord's Prayer is John 17. That's when he prayed. Go look at what he prayed. It's awesome. The King's Commissioned Prayer is in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. And so we've got seven themes out of the Lord's Prayer, and they're assigned to seven days, and within them are a ton of Bible verses. Have you already handed this out, already done this? What's the deal, dude? Okay, great. So can we hand these out? I've got 25 of these, one per family or whatever. And you don't have to do this. Throw it away. Start a fire with it. I don't care. But I did want to rally you or challenge you to be part of this. I, can you imagine 100,000 believers in the state all praying the Word of God in a unified way and praying under the direction of Jesus in the greatest prayer? And so Sunday is our Father in heaven. We love that. It's the family of God speaking, positioning God, heavenly reality, praying that. On Mondays is glory to God day. We got a bunch of verses within that day. So all day long, we're praying, hallowed be thy name. Make your name great. Let your glory cover the earth, even as the waters cover the sea. Monday is glory of God day. Tuesday, come heaven on earth. And we're just locking in on out. We can pray anything every day. But our, my mission assignment from heaven is to coordinate the body of Christ. Because listen, I can't schedule visitation. Nobody I've ever met can schedule visitation, Pentecost, win this stuff. Nobody can do that. But I can help rally us in the upper room together where we can be in a united, coordinated way, praying and waiting on the Spirit. Then God takes care of when he moves in power and ebbs and flows and does all those kinds of things. So this is one of those ways we're going to do that. And thanks for letting me take a pitch at that. Yeah, sorry, we'll send out the PDF and send you more copies. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of you here. Um, also, next week, if you want to go to Wichita on a Friday night and hang out at a parking garage, the Gander Mountain Parking Garage, Jake Stemmo and Presence, who are on our team, are going to lead a worship event on the parking garage on the top. They did it one time last year. I can't remember. Does anybody remember what month that was? I can't remember. It was a time when we all shouldn't have been doing that. And a ton of people showed up on this parking garage. People were driving by on Kellogg honking as uh, hundreds of people were out there worshiping. This one's going to be probably raging. So Friday night, 6 p.m. at the parking garage at uh, Gander Mountain. And then we always meet at Saturday uh, nights over on the west side at Reliance. Amen. Father, we thank you. In the name of Jesus. We thank you for the, the, the word of God. We thank you for the gospel that's transformed us forever. We've celebrated it in different ways, in different dynamics within this room for the last hour and a half. And Lord, I'm asking now for the power of the Holy Spirit. I preached a bunch of Easter sermons, but we're not just going through motions here. We really want to stay in step with what you're saying and you're doing. So I lay everything down before you, open-handed. Thank you for these sweet saints and those that will watch later. We're asking that this would be a word from heaven, a word in, in the right moment that would ignite and touch. It would be a manifold word, touching young in the faith, middle in the faith, old in the faith, lukewarm, hot, cold, whatever. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. I am, literally have no faith in any ability to do anything good right here. But we trust you and that you love and you can use weak vessels for the glory of the gospel. So, Lord, we love you. We bless you and we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes a, 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 his longest chapter in that letter to a troubled church about the resurrection. He begins it by saying in the first verse, now I would like to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, 
which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you a first importance, what I also received from the apostles, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, literally, and he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That he appeared then to Cephas and then the twelve. Then he appeared to 500 of the brothers all at one time. This is the thing that's of first importance, the gospel. And in this gospel of first importance, this apostolic declaration to some that were grappling with the resurrection of Jesus, that reality, and the resurrection of the dead. Some of them were beginning to die. The second coming wasn't happening as fast as they thought. Jesus roots the gospel and the two primary dynamics in a significant way. It's the crucifixion, okay? The importance are the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The death and the resurrection are so basic to us, but are huge. The cross and the empty tomb. The death of the cross secures our forgiveness, our acquittal, our being made right, our atonement with Yahweh because he's righteous and holy. The glory that he found a way to manifest his love and his wrath all at the same time on himself is just shocking. And then put me in a grave, and three days later, he comes out and does what had never been done before. Men and women had been raised from the dead, but no one had come up from the dead themselves, born from that place, and we'll get there. So this secures our, the death and cross secure our atonement and right relationship. The resurrection secures our eternal life. You and I were made for eternal life, and that doesn't mean one day we die, put these bodies in a grave, and then we float on a cloud for all eternity in some kind of ether, ether world, you know, where we're, we, we literally are going to be in bodies for eternity. You're not wearing a normal body. Adam and Eve were not given these bodies. We inherited this from Adam and Eve who had fallen, but this ain't normal, okay? This is not the, 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 what he made us to be. Adam and Eve were to live forever. So are you. And so Jesus came back to re-secure that eternal life, which is that salvation, which is awesome. But the thing I want to point out to you today is this, and to meditate with me in this, is that death and that resurrection are so radically unique, and that may seem obvious to you. But the death of Jesus is not like any other martyr. Tons of people died on a cross. But nobody dies on a cross, nailed there at nine in the morning, and then at noon, it goes, it goes dark in Jerusalem. It's not an eclipse. It stays dark for three hours while all the sins of the past, present, all demonic hosts are raging around Jerusalem. This was not a normal death. In fact, those watching were like, what's happening? Then when he dies at 3 p.m. and gives up his spirit, there's a geological shaking. I end your spirit. I commit my, it's finished. And then there's an earthquake. Remember that? The earth shakes, a geological shaking in the earth realm. There's a shaking in the spirit realm. Many dead people get up from the dead, so right at his death. And then there's a ripping at the religious realm. The curtain is torn. This is no normal death, obviously. The resurrection was no normal resurrection, as though you could say normal with resurrection. That's just crazy. But there had been people raised from the dead. Elijah raised a little boy, right, the widow's son, from the dead. That happened in the Old Testament. Jesus had raised the little girl, Talitha Kum, raised up that had died, and raised up, he interrupted a funeral one time. I would love that video. But he goes up, and the widow's weeping, and dead son, who probably was taking care of her, walks up to a coffin and tells the guy to get up. And that turns into a great funeral, right? Then he raises Lazarus. 
all of those were not like what happened to Jesus. Does everybody understand that? It's really important that you know that, not only to secure your faith and your salvation, but for where you're headed and where I'm headed. This is an, there's an essential difference between the resurrection of Lazarus and Jesus. Now, let's just remind, and you can put the passage up there. I'm not going to read it directly, but in John 11 is that seventh sign in the book of John, the raising of Lazarus. And it's an amazing thing, right? Lazarus is sick. Get over here. He's dying. Jesus waits. He dies. He gets there on the fourth day. And he engages Martha and Mary, says to Martha, I am the resurrection of life, which is amazing. I, I am it. And then Mary's weeping. It moves him to tears. And we pick up here in verse 38, deeply moved. Jesus moves toward a grave where a guy had been dead four days, is decomposing as these bodies do, and may have stink. His odor will be bad, they say. It's been four days. And he says, y'all roll that rock away. And then Jesus, the word of God, the son of the living God, speaks a command and begin in that tomb, uh, the body of Lazarus begins to revive. It's resurrection, but it revives. The old cells begin to move. The old heart begin to pump again. The old lungs begin to breathe. That's, a, that's awesome. It was strong enough that he gets up and waddles out of the grave. Remember that? He's like, help him out. Get the grave clothes off of him. He's still wearing the grave clothes. And more than that, he's still wearing Adam's body. That's not where we're headed. It's a sign and it's a wonder, but it's not where you're headed. It's a moment of revival on the top of a natural kind of order, but it's not where we're headed. Jesus' resurrection is different. Jesus is in there for three days. They're praying. They're doing the deal. They hear the deal. There's, all, there's a couple different accounts of it in the Gospels. I've got it in John here, and John likes to point out to us, he outran Peter to the grave. He gets in there, and the, remember, the angel had moved the stone away. And listen... The stone had been moved away, not by man, but by an angel. And an earthquake released, and that angel didn't move that stone so Jesus could get out. Does everybody understand that? <laughs> he didn't move it so Jesus could get out. He moved it so they could get in. Jesus doesn't need doors anymore. He doesn't need doors anymore because this is the resurrection where we're all headed. He, something happened to him in that body that wasn't a reviving of that old body that he was actually wearing. See, Jesus was wearing the body that you and I have. Mary, he was born of Mary, literally flesh and blood, with the Holy Spirit incarnational, the eternal life in him, okay? And he wore that. It was a body you could kill, that could, could sin, could get sick, and he overcame in our body. That's good news. But he wasn't going to raise again with that body. Kill this body, innocent. I didn't fail where they all failed. I'll take your wrath. Praise God. But I'm not raising up with this body. I don't need you to re-quicken these cells. Jesus rose up with a different kind of body. It's an amazing thing. So they run in there. They find the linen and the rags are there. He's not bound in them because rags can't hold him anymore. Lazarus is still in the rags because he can't pass through them. I'm, I'm going to try not to be too weird in science fiction here. But this is crazy stuff because it's where you're headed. He, Jesus passed through those, and they laid there, and then he sees the face cloth or tablecloth or napkin, do you remember that? Folded up apart. Now, this is another sermon, and it's a theory by people, but why was that folded? Well, some people say that a napkin in that time when the master at his table would crumple up after the meal, the napkin, and throw it down, the servant was released to clean it up. It's over. Jesus was saying, it's not over. 
when, if the master would fold the napkin and put it down, don't clean the table yet. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be back or whatever. I'm coming back. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. So he folded that. I, I don't know. We'll get the video later, right? But this is not the resurrection of Lazarus. This is not that. This is not what happened. So let me, let me say some phrases and they'll be up here. What happened to Lazarus in the tomb was not what happened to Jesus in the tomb. One was revived to still a decaying natural order. The other was resurrected to an eternal spiritual order. Revival is a quickening power manifest over this natural realm that's still filled with death, entropy, all that. Resurrection is a transformational power that swallows up death, releasing never-ending life. That's the difference that happened. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus on that day was literally the breaking of a dam of resurrection life that's been pouring out for 2,000 years. He came out of that grave with a brand new spiritual body that could never die again. Never sin, never anything. He wasn't, there's no tip to, he's literally in a brand new body. Now, it's a physical body, but it's called a spiritual body in the book of 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, so... This is so important for us to understand because of the dynamic of the difference that happened between the two. Later, in 1 Corinthians 15, he'll talk a little more detailed about that. In verse 35, it says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come forth? You foolish person. You, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that's to be, but it's a bare kernel perhaps the wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chose and each kind of seed its own body. Watch. For not all flesh is the same. For there's one kind of body for humans and another kind of body and tissue for animals, and birds and fish. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. Verse, down, verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What's raised is imperishable. Listen, Lazarus got back up with a perishable body. Does everybody know? He revived and he had another funeral. Jesus rose up with an imperishable body. He rose up with a body that could never die again. He, it's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. What Jesus was, was the ultimate seed on planet earth. And it happened at his birth. When the spirit of God, as I talk, came on Mary... The eternal life of God in his nature was placed within the shell of the Adam body. And he was moving along. And listen, Jesus needed to die to get that outside of himself. His, there was something that needed to die. Yes, he needed to die to pay for our sins, the atonement, that's huge. But he needed to be pressed into the ground, crack that shell so that he could burst out with the life that's going to be for us. God was not going to have a kingdom that could ever die again. It's a resurrection order. Jesus was a seed that was waiting to manifest through death. In fact, he'll say in John 12, 24, when he's talking about his death to them, he goes, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it cannot burst this. Y'all are freaking out trying to protect me. Remember, Peter acted like Satan and tried to keep him from the cross. And Jesus is like, if you stop that, you're going to stop man's forgiveness of sins and the eternal resurrection order that I want to release on the planet. So Satan, adversary, get behind me. I need to head through the cross into death because it's just a law. Heavenly wounds really manifest in the midst of earthly tombs. Heavenly wound, in your life, this is a law. 
You think that your weakness and your brokenness and your hurt is the end. And when will God get me out of this and revive? He wants to do more than that. He wants to take your dark hour in the midst of the delay with the stone over the deal and break in and bring resurrection life. Peter cannot lead the church like he is. Jesus actually needed him to fail. You're right. Satan has come to sift you. I've prayed for you. When you return, because it's going to get ugly, when you return, I want you to encourage the brothers. Jesus doesn't need zealous, passionate Peter. He needs a failed Peter that has the power of the Holy Spirit. Hype is going to change no one. Look at me. I'm up here talking entirely too fast with passion, but this passion, the power of motivation, is not power to change a human soul. It takes the raw power of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking like this because this is how I talk to Amy at home. Pray for her. I'm just being me. There's no raw power on this. The Spirit of God, resurrection power is what we need. Amen? And this is what he was committed to do. He prophesied it in Genesis chapter 1. On the third day, God splits the, remember, the, the land and the sea. And he takes, he's not done, the land. Here's what I want to do something with the land. I'm going to stick seeds down in it. And then something will produce out of it. It was on what day? Do you remember what day that was? The third day. The third day, God was preaching the gospel from Genesis chapter 1. On the third day, he put a seed in, and death had to happen for it to raise up. And then he makes a man. And of all the things to make man out of, I mean, he could have done gold. You know what? He could have done some silver. But what did he do? What did he make man out of? Dust. Dirt. He li- it was resurrection built into our code from the beginning. I'm raising up what's dead, and I'm going to raise it up and go. And then they fell into death. Instead of heading toward heaven and eternal life, they headed back to dust. But God always wanted us to be resurrected. Always wanted to be resurrected. And Jesus was that seed. Jesus is the seed, and they needed, he needed to die. Because he was going to swallow up death. You see, the resurrection of Lazarus was really the power of the word of Jesus superintending over the natural effects of death or the natural order of things. It was awesome. I mean, what a sign. This actually gets Jesus killed. And they say they want to kill Lazarus too. This is getting out of control. Healing the blind was a hubbub, you know, and the lame, that's huge. Now he's lifting the dead up out of graves. We have to end him. Read it in John 11. But that was not the ultimate place he was heading where by his powerful word, he would raise up dead tissue. He's not just doing that. He wanted to do something else. The resurrection of Jesus was a swallowing up or a maelstrom of the consumption of death. What did I just introduce a word? What's the word maelstrom mean? Does anybody know? I'm going to give extra bonus points to this. A storm that produces, a maelstrom that produces in the sun. They think this is what was meant in Isaiah 25, 7, when Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus prophesied, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that's cast over the peoples, the veil that's spread over all the nations. He'll swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears forever. This phrase that Isaiah was you and commentators believe, he was talking about a maelstrom. He was talking about a storm that produces a swirl of water within the ocean or whatever it is that sucks in everything that gets near it. It's kind of like a black hole for us, galactically, galactically speaking. <laughs> it's swirling and it's swirling and it's swirling. And if you get your canoe near it, it's going to suck you in. 
This is what death did and how death made a mistake by killing Jesus. It got near the eternal maelstrom life of Jesus and life could not overcome that death. He sucked death right in. He swallowed death. Death grabbed hold of him like it had billions of people before. It got a hold of him, but he got a hold of it. And I'm just trying to work up and be, have moxie here. That's literally what happened. He, death came on him, and he said, hey, while you're here, and he began to chew on it, and began to consume it, and began to eat it, and then began to manifest a brand new body and a brand new life. 1 Corinthians 15, 4, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, and then they'll say, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? So my encouragement for you in this Easter is to receive the revival of the Spirit but stay focused on the resurrection order that's coming. You really need to make a division. The body of Christ is almost camped at. The highest pitch is when we have revival. It's not. The highest pitch of things is when Jesus comes back to planet Earth. That's the revival, and it's where the resurrection order begins. Now, it has break, broke out now, and the reality of that eternal resurrection order is come releasing temporary revival benefits that now can be attained by faith. And so I just want to say this. You and I are about to have an experience. You take your best moment ever being filled with the Spirit and multiply it by eternal. Because what's going to happen is that maelstrom of the circling powerful life of God, listen, is going to draw out entropy and death from you at the cellular level. You're going to be so transformed, not only in your lungs, in your, in your, in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind, your body is going to change where you literally will not need doors anymore. And I'm not just excited because we're going to walk through walls. I'm just telling you that we're going we're to interact with the, with the glory of God, being lovers of God, and the natural realm ruling forever in a resurrection order of things. No more worried about going to the dock and all that spot and all that ache and all that feel. It's all going away. This is where we anchor our hope. Yeah, I want little breakthroughs at little meetings where we get excited. We got a, we got a testimony of this and maybe it was. And Amen. More, 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 more. More revival. But the revival is actually the seeping back into human history of what is eternally coming in the resurrection order. And some of those seepings are this, really quick. The resurrection, resurrection order releases right now revival benefits of number one, salvation from sin and separation from God. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and, Christ has been, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. So the resurrection of Jesus secures right now forgiveness of sins. My conscience is clean. I'm clean. We sang about the blood. Way to go. Way to sing about the blood. I'm right now clean. I'm not waiting to get clean. I'm fully righteous before the Lord, even though I don't have a resurrection body. But I've got that revival of my soul. Now I'm a lover of God. I'm, a, I'm doing away with idolatry. I'm literally growing in that in my inner man because I've got resurrection life inside me that's breaking forth. Secondly, the refreshment of our mortal bodies. Look at this verse. Romans 8, 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit that dwells in you. That's a great verse. That's a verse you ought to meditate on and memorize because that's really what's happening to you. In, in context, this probably means the full resurrection, meaning this, you are yet to hatch. 
You are, if you're a born-again believer, you've got the new life of God in you that's going to live forever. We're not waiting on you to begin eternal life. You've got eternal life in you. And it's actually pressing on the death and the entropy that's in your life at the character level and even at the body level. There's benefits now. The Lord, I mean, I've got, I can name seven aches and pains. But here's the issue. I have a thousand opportunities to have aches and pains. God's keeping me refreshed right now and giving me energy to stay alive at 53. And it's because that resurrection dynamic life is working in me, refreshing my mortal body, but it hasn't fully manifest yet. It's going to manifest at the resurrection. Number three is freedom from the root fear of death. Hebrews 2, 14, since therefore uh, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. For through death, he, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who all their life were in fear of death and were in lifelong slavery. The resurrection of Jesus now, the firstborn from among the dead, sets me free from death. Listen, if this really roots in us, death is not the terror anymore, it's the doorway to where I want to go. Because I'm going to get there either one of two ways. I'm either going to go down as a seed and die, which is an opportunity. I mean, we all are trying to stay alive, but death, the worst thing that could happen to us, right? Death is actually gives us the thing we all want. Now, now I'm not trying to get you to be a masochist or suicidal. Let God determine your days. But the worst thing that can happen to you gives you the thing your heart wants the most. That changes death just a tad. Suddenly, the sod in the graveyard is an open door for me to get where I want to go. To unleash that resurrection power. That's what I need. But also, it needs to break our concept, our theory of death. So right here, what's, what's gripping humanity is a fear of death. Death now all of a sudden becomes this opportunity. And I will either be changed by dying or he's going to come back and I'm going to be caught up in the sky. And I'll be changed in a twinkle of my eye. I'd like that option. I'm going for my generation seeing the second coming of Jesus. But if not, I'm okay. I love it. Billy Graham, I think he stole it from D.L. Moody, said, someday you're going to read in the paper that Billy Graham has died. Don't you believe a word of it. I'm more alive than I've ever been before. They may have me over there in a body and doing a funeral deal, but I am in the presence of the Lord. And that changes. It shifts how we think about death. Resurrection order and our hope in that revives our heart right now to live without fear in our lives. And by the way, I'm still working on this, <laughs> working on it in a major way, but I want to just kind of end this time. We okay? I'm going to end our time. You have something else to do? I'm going to get us out to Easter dinner. I am your waiter, Sam, and I'll get you there. <laughs> Father, uh, I'm, uh, you can keep your eyes open. You can shut them what you're going to do. But Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for reviving moments. But thank you for the radical hope of the resurrection order and kingdom that we're going to be part of forever. I thank you that the power and presence of your resurrection is in this room right now. They can give confidence to people who are not saved. They can have confidence that their sins are forgiven. For those that need refreshment literally in their mortal bodies, they need a touch. Resurrection power that raised up dead bodies can heal them even in this moment. And you can break off every fear and anxiety and depression, this tidal wave over our nation. Lord, we thank you for the power of resurrection breaking forth. And so I pray, just give us a couple minutes here, guys. Holy Spirit, put your draw. Let people sense 
the draw, the swirling maelstrom of your life drawing them in to salvation, to healing, to freedom from fear. Lord, I pray at the, at the end of an Easter service, I guess that's what this is, but it's just really 12.01 on a Sunday, and this is the day that you've made. I'm asking for your fresh touch upon our lives and help us by faith to move into the already but the not yet. We're waiting on a great day, but even in this day, you're dripping forth your glory. And so I pray, by faith, as you said, Jesus, what do you want to blind people? And they had to say it. I'm asking that you help us to be deliberate.